Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Trent Shelton, author of The Greatest You. If you want to learn how to level up in life, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what is up? Welcome back to another interview here on the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I'm really excited to bring you Trent Shelton. Trent has been all over social media. If you haven't seen him or heard of him, you are living in your own little corner of the world. And so it is time to be awakened to what's out there and get to know Trent a little bit. Trent is a former NFL wide receiver, having been a member of the Indianapolis Colts, Seattle Seahawks and the Washington Redskins, and he is now considered one of the most impactful speakers of this generation. He reaches over 50 million people weekly through his various social media outlets and nonprofit Rehab Time organization. A global speaker, Shelton travels the world sharing his message of creating lasting change in life. He and his wife, Maria, live in Fort Worth, Texas with their two kids, Tristan and Maya. And Trent is just an amazing dude. He recently wrote a book called The Greatest You, which I highly recommend checking out. And in this episode, we talk a lot about how to become that greatest possible version of yourself. We talk about the one thing, the one thing, the one aspect that can make you better than everybody else over a long period of time because it compounds on itself. And if you haven't guessed it by now, then you're definitely going to want to check out what we talk about here in this episode. Plus, we talk about some of the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations of him trying to get into the NFL and then making it and then coming back out of it and then that transition into back to quote unquote normal life. And there's so many 
tips, insights, tricks into this episode, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, really quickly before we get into that, I want to let you all, all know that I opened up a few more VIP day slots in my calendar. So since opening this up a couple months ago, I've had over a dozen people come out to Vegas now, and I'm having a blast doing it. So if building a professional and profitable podcast, yes, those two adjectives are very important. I'm not about showing people how to make another expensive hobby. Okay, I want you to have a professional and profitable podcast that pays you money. If that's something that you want to do, then head over to travischapel.com slash coaching to apply. And if you qualify, I will see you out here in Vegas really soon. That's travischapel.com slash coaching. And now here is my chat with Trent Shelton. Trent, what is up, man? Thanks so much for taking the time. I know you got a crazy jam-packed schedule while you're out here in Vegas, so I appreciate it. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, of course. So, so many incredible parts of your story, man. And when I when I heard that you were going to be in town, I reached out to a couple of people and made sure that we could get you booked here on the show. But before we go into the uh, into some of the details of the of the later on story and different things, let's go back, build some context. Tell me what life was like for like childhood Trent, like, you know, family life and athletics, school, like, did you like it? Did you not like it? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, growing up, I, I was born in Little Rock, but I moved to New Orleans when I was like, I don't know, three months old. So I grew up from there to seventh grade, two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. Mom and dad's been in my, you know, they've been together forever. So they're still together. Okay. So I had a strong, uh, a strong upbringing, man. My dad, awesome man to this day. Uh, my mom, awesome mother. So I was blessed to have parents to be able to like, to show me what, what parenting was like. Always had two older brothers that supported me. Of course, I was the baby boy, so I got picked on a lot <laughs> growing up. But I owe I owe their my sports success to them because, like, literally, like, I when I stepped out the wound, I'm sure, like, when I was could barely walk, I was running around chasing them, yeah. giving me the football. So I started playing football when I was like six years old, like mm-hmm. tackle football. And uh, first three times I touched it, I scored touchdowns, and they were like, "Yeah, this is what you're you're supposed to do." Yeah. So I had my mind focused on NFL. Since I was six years old. Okay. What did your parents do? So my dad, my dad, he still works for UPS. He's okay. been at UPS management for, I mean, even before I was born. So I don't know how yeah. long, like 40 years. And then my mom, she's a stay-at-home mom now, but she was working at a hospital doing okay. some, uh, like, clerk work, stuff like that. So, like, middle class? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Upbringing. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I would say middle class for sure. Uh, my dad, he made decent money. You know, he was able to provide. We never wanted for nothing. Right, uh right. But he always taught us he didn't spoil us neither, you right. know. So, but uh, we lived pretty good, man. And uh, I was fortunate enough to to have that blessing. And even growing up, like even with my father, like because I don't shine a lot of light on my dad all the time. People always ask like my mom's situation with her cancer. So, but my dad, he showed me just the spirit of giving. Like everybody was his son. It was like I mean, my friends would come over, he would pay their phone bills, and so like even at the young age, I understood the importance of like giving to people and and being there for other people, even if. They didn't have it. Yeah. And so it's always been on my heart, man. And, uh, you know, moved to Texas in seventh grade where football is religion here. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm in Vegas now, but in Texas and yeah. was blessed enough, made good grades in school, okay. you know, A's and B's, mostly A's, man, to be honest with you. Yeah. School to me was easy. I mean, if you study and just study and go and take a test, you yeah. know. So um, made good grades. And that was kind of standard put by my parents. You know, they were just like, you know, always do your best. And so my best was that at that time. And I uh, got a scholarship to play at Baylor. And my, my whole goal was, since my parents did so much for me, I see either academically or athletically, I want to be able to go back to them and say, you don't have to pay for my schooling or to get some type of scholarship. And that was my motivation that carried me through, went to Baylor. And I uh, had a great career there, man. And then from there, got undrafted as a free agent. And that's kind of where 
my down spiral started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So real quick, but we'll get into that for sure. Yeah. Real quick to go back into high school stuff. Did you take free time or like were you always constantly focused on the goal of like getting to the NFL and working out and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't no free time because I played because I was I was actually better at baseball. I played oh, really? all okay. sports, basketball, football, baseball, track until my 10th grade where I let go of baseball. But I still played most people in full work with me for basketball than they were football. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, but I just knew being six foot Unless you're Allen Iverson, it's yeah. not going to happen. So I know my hot's making the NFL. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have time. It was always sports. I mean, I can't remember a time where I had like a month off yeah. in my life. Yeah, really. So when you were like 15, 16, you were like, hey, let's go have some fun with friends. Yeah. That definition for you was just go play more sports. Yeah, it's like, man, like, where can we link up and, and go play ball yeah. at outside or something? <laughs> let's go find the field. You know, yeah. you don't see that these days. But like, yeah. let's find an open field and let's play. I mean, I still did things like, you know. Go out here, here and there, uh, yeah. definitely with my friends. But all my friends were athletes, so we're all trying to push each other to be the best. Okay, cool. So going into college, was there that temptation to like get into like the party? Oh yeah, no, that's that where stuff. it started. Yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, I think that lifestyle became more of of a need for me at yeah. that time. I mean, you're partying. I mean, as an athlete, you know everything is is given to you pretty much. You know, everybody loves who you are, and especially if you're like the movies. I mean, if you're uh, uh, one of the stars on a team, mm-hmm. it's hard because. You know, nobody really tells you no for anything. You right. know, everything is given right. to you. And so uh, trying to find that balance. If I could go back, I wish I would have networked more in college because even talking about, like, networking as an athlete, a lot of people don't understand. Some athletes have trouble networking because your whole entire life you've been used to people coming to you. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was so hard for me to even start conversation with people because my whole entire life it was always given. It's like, oh, what do you need and this or that. And so I wasn't used to going to ask for people or, or going to start a conversation with somebody I didn't know. And so we lived inside yeah. like this little bubble. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so if I can go back to Baylor, I mean, you have doctors, lawyers, and luckily I made some connections there, but yeah. there's so many people who you can network with and that can help your life. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash 
Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, why do you think that that's not something that's prevalent? Like, the more that I talk to people, the more that I realize this is such a huge aspect of life, of success in business, life, career, whatever you're trying to, yeah. like, you know, get good at. But nobody like tells you to do it. Like nobody yeah. teaches you, hey, you're in college right now. You're surrounded by all these people. You should probably get to know them. Like nobody yeah. talks about that. And then when you're out of college, you're like, man, I had access to this person, this person, this person that now I, I no longer have that access to. And I have to actually go work to find these types of people <laughs> that I could have just like gone and talked to. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, just off the top, I think it's like dealing with time. I feel like we don't understand the value of time. You know what I'm saying? So, like, for me, it's like I never thought that, even though it would, but I never thought college would be over. I would, I would always have time to make that connection or or I can always come back to it, not realizing that when it's over, it's so much harder to get that connection. So I was like, oh, okay, I can network when I'm through with football or this or that, and not realizing that when you're done with football, the people that – you probably would have networked with are not going to network with you now because you don't have that title. Right. So a lot of athletes make that mistake. Yeah. They wait till it's over to you try to start. You well before you're 30. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So coming out of college now, so I, I'm curious to know when in your life it went from being a dream to be in the NFL to being like, I'm for sure going to the league. Yeah. Uh, it had to be when it was reality, probably my senior year at Baylor. My coach, my coach, well, my coach, too, he played in the NFL, but um, for 16 years, Harold Jackson. And he told me, like, he was he coached in the NFL. He's like, you got it. He's like, you know, we're at Baylor. We're struggling, so you might be a late-round pick or a free agent, but you have the talent to play in it. And my uncle, who coached for the Chargers, George Stewart, mm-hmm. he's been coaching since I was since I can remember. Mm-hmm. And he always told me, he's like, you have the talent. You know, you just got to put in the work. And so my senior year, when I made all Big 12 and had my best year, I knew it was a reality for me. Okay, so... Then what happens? Yeah, so I, so I was projected to be like a fourth round pick, fourth to late. I mean, I thought I would be that. I went out there, ran a forty. Um, I didn't run the fastest time. It was crazy because they added a tenth to our time because we ran on the track. It's like they didn't do that to Reggie Bush, but they did it to yeah. us. So I, that hurt because it went from a four four to a four five. Wow. And when you're at Baylor and you're you know you're not winning at the time, it's harder. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, right. watching the draft, man, in a second day, you know my name they get called. And uh, I was just devastated, man. And then yeah. right after the draft was over, a lot of teams called me because I was a high-priority free agent. And mm-hmm. so a lot of teams offered me some decent money for a signing bonus. And my uncle told me, he's like, man, don't worry about the money. Go somewhere where they're going to give you a fair shake. And he knew Coach Dungy uh, really well. He said, Coach Dungy's not going to make you make – I mean, uh, allow you to make the team because you're my nephew. Mm-hmm. But I know he's going to like – whether you're a free agent or a draft pick, he wants the best player, so go there. And that's where I signed with the Colts. Yeah, so signed with the Colts – what happens next? Yeah, signed with the Colts and um, had the best preseason. I want to say top in the NFL out of all receivers, of course. You know, most of the guys aren't playing preseason. Of course, yeah, right. But out of all the rookies, I was, you know, top five for sure. So I'm like, okay, I'm making a team for facts. Like, right. I'm good. Some things happened. Third game, they didn't play me. And I realized because they were trying to hide me. And so what happens is the first first half of the uh, third preseason game, the starters play. And then the second half, the guys who are probably going to make the team are really on the cusp. They play they didn't play me. And so I asked one of the guys, I'm not going to say his name. I was like, like, why aren't they playing me? He's like, they're hiding you. Because if you have another game where you ball out, when they cut you, they said, they're going to cut you beside you to practice guy. When they cut you, another team's going to pick you up off the of waivers. So they want to keep those stats as low as they can. So that's what happens. So it sucks, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, I get it, though. Yeah. And um, That's the kind so of stuff you don't realize growing up. You not know, at like, all. You I don't want to play football. And then you exactly. realize all this other, like, 
bullshit <laughs> politics are going in behind the scenes. That, exactly. Because yeah. I, I was like, what did I do wrong? And yeah. it was like, no, nah, they just hiding you. Right. And that's what happened. After the four seasons in the game, they cut me and they told me, hey, we're going to keep you. We want to we groom you. And they did that. But two weeks into that, I got cut from the Colts, drove home, and I just bought a car and all these other things. And two weeks later, they bring me back. And that's pretty much my career in the NFL for three years, like three different teams leaving, coming, leaving, coming. My life was very unstable. Yeah. So I'm curious to know the emotional roller coaster has yeah. to be like crazy high, high, crazy low, low. Can you walk me through like what you were thinking, what you were feeling during that time? Yeah. Um, the first thing, first words that come to my mind is feeling like I'm not enough. And that's the first time where I can say like, I really felt that. Like yeah. first time I was like, you know, I felt I really met adversity in my right. life. I mean, I've dealt with some medical issues, but the first time in sports where I met adversity. I'm like, dang, I'm not enough. And I became angry. I'm like, you know, even with my faith, I was like, man, like I could have just been like stopped in high school and then had my life, you know, college. And I could have been focused on doing something else because as a football player, it's not student athlete, it's athlete, right. then student, right. you know, that's all you're focused on. And um, I started to get depressed, man. And I started to run the things that parties, all these things that I was around because of the title that would fill me up for the moment. Mm-hmm. And I would just become emptier and emptier again and again. So I was in a depression and I didn't even realize that, that I was depressed. Cause I always, I was always telling people I'm good, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. when I wasn't okay. Yeah. So I was trying to mask the pain with all these different things. Yeah, of course. And the, the crazy thing about that kind of um, just exaggerated uh, situation is like, you're getting A's and B's all throughout, you know, high school. You said mostly A's and like do well in school. You're the athlete. You're the guy that's like in everybody's eyes, like got it all together. And like you even said in college, like people don't tell you no, like you, yeah. can, you can do whatever you want. Like you are like the BMOC, right? Yeah. Then you get into this, into this league and for the first time ever in your life, people are like, nah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that has to be like a very... Whoa, whoa, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're starting at the bottom of the totem pole, too. Yeah. I mean, you're sharing lockers. You know, you, yeah. it's it's tough. You yeah. know, it's tough. And and I put in the work. And then for, for me, not for, for it's not, not to translate into actual, like, me making the team. I was like, what's going on? Like, yeah. I balled out. I did everything I was supposed to do, and it's not working out. And so, yeah, man, I hit a really dark place in my life, for sure. Yeah, that was a question that I had for you was, did you feel like you could have done more to put yourself yeah. in a better position? For sure. Or? Yeah, I take some responsibility in that because I think, you know, I played well, but I was still focused on the lifestyle stuff, too. Okay. You know, I was still focused on going out and yeah. meeting celebrities that I've seen on TV and it's like mm-hmm. and, and hanging out with guys who are having max contracts mm-hmm. with they ain't getting cut at right. all, you know, right. and, yeah. and hanging with exactly. them and realizing I could have used that same energy to, to perfect and better my craft. So I take responsibility for it, too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that's a big reason that a lot of people end up just going south if something like this happens to them is just because they can't get over the fact that they could have maybe done something better. You know, yeah, yeah, responsibility I, for that. yeah. I think a lot of times, but I feel like that's where the power is. Yeah. I mean, I talk about that a lot. Like I always say, it all starts with you taking that responsibility because I mean, you can't change your past, obviously. But if you can say, okay, what did my past teach me? What can I learn from my past? What can I learn from this situation yeah. to apply to my present to change my future? And that's where the power rests. And there's so many growing lessons in your past. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for all that. Yeah. So coming after the Colts, there you said there's like three years with three yeah. different teams, right? Yeah. So can you walk me through exactly what the next ups and downs were throughout that part of the Yeah. Life? So I, I go in the next year, I signed with the Seahawks, and I signed in minicamp. So I'm already like behind the A-ball, you know, like they already got their guys. I'm just like, I'm here. Maybe I can make the practice squad again and prove myself. And that's what happened. I made the practice squad. 
But they were less excited about me. I could just tell. I think the coach were really excited about me, so it surprised me after the season they didn't bring me back. Mm-hmm. But probably my biggest down point with the NFL was I remember I was at home in Dallas, and I live in Fort Worth, so people are not from there. There's things like one city. It's like a big, a big gap, you yeah. know? So I was in Dallas eating, and I get a call from a 206 number, and it was Seattle, and it was like November. And so uh, I answer, and they say, hey, like, uh, you know, we want to sign you back. Can you come today? And I was like, hey, uh, I'm in Dallas right now. And I was like, I don't know if I'll make the flight, but I'll just come first thing in the morning. Yeah. They're like, no, we need you here because we got to get you physical, all that stuff done, fitted. I was like, all right. So I go home. I rush home. I pack. Just throw some things in the bag. I get to, <laughs> so funny now. But I get to the airport and I'm, I'm on Facebook telling everybody, I'm going back to Seattle, y'all. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I get a call. Same 206 number. <laughs> and they're like, have you left yet? And I'm like, nah. They were like, well, don't get on the plane because we, yeah. we changed our mind. You know, some things happened where they had to bring in another guy. And I'm just like, at that point, I just felt like deflated. And I was... Oh. That was my door. I'm glad I can look back and laugh at it now. But like, <laughs> yeah. that was not much laugh. Nah, I was, yeah. I was, yeah, I, I can't <laughs> even put in the words. Uh, all of that stuff. Like, <laughs> why are you still here? And it was just tough at that point. And that's where I hit my breaking point. In that process, Tristan, my son, was born that September. So that was 2008. He was born that September, and Tristan wasn't planned. But I always say he changed my life forever. So. In that, with my wife, Maria, she wasn't my wife at the time. She wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. So we're going through that situation, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to parent. I'm 20 some year, 22 years old, 23 years old, yeah. trying to figure that out. And so all of that's going on while I'm getting cut. And so uh, 2009 is when my life like really, really changed. Yeah. Did you feel... Um, it's one thing to feel like you're not enough for yourself. Yeah. But just for some context here, we just had our son three weeks ago. So, Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. So I'm going through all of this very brand new myself. And uh, that's the biggest thing for me now. It's like, now it's not just like, if I fail, okay, whatever. Like, yeah. I failed. But like, now it's like, looking at him. Yeah. Like, how, how, did, how did you deal with that? So that was, that was a big catalyst in me becoming a better man. Um, I always say, you know, when we talk about it, my college roommate helped me as far as, like, really finding my why with rehab time. But Tristan was the start for me becoming a better man. Because the first thing I told him he was born like subconsciously, even consciously, I didn't audible, say it audible, but in my head, I was like, I don't want you to grow up to be like me. And I was like, dang, like I just told my son that. And I was like, he's going to grow up to be like me more than likely until he can make his own decisions. So I was like, let me figure this out, like mind, body, and soul. Let me get my life on the right track because now my life is bigger than myself. Mm. And it literally changed my life forever because it gave me a reason outside of myself. Like I, it's no way as a parent, unless you're not a good parent, that you can live selfishly. You can't. Your life completely becomes an unselfish life because for your kids. Yeah, when I um, heard you say in other interviews that you were just kind of sitting there and thinking about your son and like just started, just broke down, started crying yeah. and stuff. What was that experience for you? So that was 2009. I remember being in my mom's room. And like I tell people in interviews, I don't know, it wasn't a song plan or nothing. I was just sitting in my mom's room, well, my mom's, my room, my mom's house. And I was looking around at all the trophies, my son's on the wall, and I'm just like, man, like, is this what life is going to be? Like, is my life over? Like, yeah. what's going on? And I was just released from the Seahawks, and I knew I had one more shot at the NFL because NFL stands for not for long. You have three three <laughs> tries, and then you're out. <laughs> so I knew I had one more shot if that even happened. And so I said, you know what? It's rehab time. I said, mind, body, and soul, what can I control? Because a lot of times I think we focus on the things we can't control, yes. and it paralyzes us, right? Yeah. So I'm like, let me focus on what I can control. So I said, physically, 
I can get myself in the best shape I can mentally, spiritually. Let me do it. Let me read books. I didn't even read books at the time. Let me do all these things to better my life, not just for myself, but also for my son. And that's where rehab time started. Literally rehab time was for me. Like I didn't get into this for anything else, but to better my life for my son. So funny, man. Cause right before we hit record, I was basically telling you the same exact thing. Like yeah. I started all this mostly for me. Like, it was yeah. very selfish. And I'm, now I'm happy that, you know, a lot of other people can benefit from us having these kinds of exactly. conversations. But at first it was just like, a, I, it's what I needed to do for myself. Because like you said, I was very much the same way. I didn't, didn't like reading. I didn't, I didn't enjoy any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, I feel like the more that I have these conversations, those journeys into personal development, whatever you want to call it, making yourself better, uh, like a better version of yourself constantly. I feel, I feel that a lot of times they are like, there's always a catalyst, a a really big struggle that makes people forces them with back against the wall to fix something majorly in their life. Do you feel that that's almost necessary to be on that journey? Or do you think that like looking back, you would have been able to pull yourself out of your mindset and just like, do it even if you had the success that you were supposed yeah, to have. Yeah, I think for the majority of people, it takes hitting the rock bottom. Yeah. Like for the majority. And that's the thing that I try to do now. Like I don't want you to hit the rock bottom. You know, I don't. I want to give you tools and if you can learn before you hit the rock bottom, that's what it's about. But for the majority of people, it takes hitting that rock bottom where you feel like, you know, your back's against the wall, like yeah. you said, and there's only one way. It's either, you know, you're going to stay there for the rest of your life or you're going to find something and create a way or find a way. And so uh, for me, that's what it was. It was that rock bottom. And I look back and I'm thankful for all those times because if it wasn't for all that stuff, all those setbacks, all the losses, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I wouldn't be able to impact other lives. So it all had a purpose for my good. Was there a time where you remember getting super clear on your purpose? Or was it just like you had your son and you you just knew that if something wasn't going to change, that he was going to end up like you and you didn't like that version of your son? Yeah, for me, it was once I started speaking because, you know, I started making videos. I was, say, rehabish. I was doing, you know, some motivational stuff and then some just random stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got really clear about, like, this is what I was created to do was me speaking on the stage to kids. And it was like, I don't know, three or five thousand kids seemed like 50,000. And um, I was just telling them it was five minutes. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't a speaker. I was telling myself all these things. And yeah. Got on stage, my friend Jonathan Evans, you know, pretty much forced me on there, talked me into it. And he's like, man, it's something that's good I friend. See. Yeah, very <laughs> good friend. I thank him to this day. And that's actually, I mean, the event tomorrow is with him. So oh, cool. Um, it, it's funny because the event tomorrow is actually on the same stage. I'm telling the story now. So oh, it's like really? a full circle awesome. thing. So um, I get on there and then I speak for five minutes and make a long story short. I realized, like, this is what I was created to do. Like, I forgot everything I prepared the night before. So literally, it was just me on stage sharing my heart for five minutes. And those yeah. kids, I mean, if you ever talk in front of kids, that's like the hardest audience ever oh, to yeah. talk in front of. And they were locked in. Yeah. And so I was like, this is like, it's something bigger here. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not football. And I was still trying to hang on to football. I was still trying to play arena lead, all these things. And so I completely let go of football in that moment. And I said, you know, I'm dedicating my life to go down this path. So rehab time was kind of the start of all of that. Yep. Right. What was your thought process in getting that started? And what was the medium that you were choosing to go through? Yeah. So my whole thought process was it all starts with you. So it was the thought process was I have to believe it. I have to live it, breathe it, be it. So it was the work that I had to do on myself. I always say the most important work is the work you do offline, the work you do on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because when you really live it, I believe it becomes contagious and you can walk in confidence. You can walk with belief. Your input becomes your out. There you go. There you go. And so uh, it started with me doing that. And then it started with me picking up my phone, right? So I was like, I wasn't getting, once I realized, okay, I'm a speaker, right? And so, or I'm an author or whatever. 
I wasn't getting booked to speak or even not even booked. I wasn't even getting invited to speak, you know? So I'm like, what do I do? So back to networking, I reached out to people that I knew, some coaches. I'm like, I'm a football player. I know some teachers. Went back to my old high school, went back to elementary schools. Like, hey, I'll just share my story. I use the NFL thing to get in there. Mm -hmm. And I just started speaking for free as much as I could. And in that process, I was like, how can I reach more people? So I was like, social media. So I picked up my phone, iPhone. Didn't have a camera set up besides that. And I just started making two-minute videos. Yeah. And that's what started, you know, what people see today. Yeah, you talk a lot about the value of consistency and especially in terms of creating content. I know a yeah. lot of people follow my, follow my show are also, you know, trying to get started with podcasts and, you know, YouTube channels and all these different content creation platforms and things. And I find that the number one killer of any of that is lack of consistency. Big time. What would you say? Big time. Consistency means reliable and when you're reliable, you become trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And I tell people wow. all the time, the reason that I get to do interviews like this, the reason I get to speak on stages, the reason people watch my videos, yes, it's because of the content, but it's more because of the consistency. I wanted to be a category king for self-worth. I want people thought of self-worth. I want to think of rehab time of myself. And so mm-hmm. I decided to dedicate my mission to self-worth content. Yeah. And also with consistency, it's like even this as far as like with social media, when you're consistent, you become shareable. And I realized that because in order to beat the boogeyman, the algorithm, you yeah. have to become shareable, right? Shareable right. content. Right. So I asked the lady, I posted a video on Facebook and it was a five minute video. And the lady, it was like a whole bunch of people who shared it, right? And I'm like, it's been a minute and they already shared it. It's no way they watched the whole video. Mm-hmm. So first I kind of like, y'all didn't watch the whole video. <laughs> and I thought I was like, that's crazy. And so I hit up, it was a lady. I, hit, I said like, why did you share this without watching the whole video? And she said, Trent, and it changed my mindset forever for consistency. She said, Trent, You've been so consistent for years. I already know that the message is going to help somebody. And I want to be one of the first people to share it. And so (laughs) I have tons of people who do that. They literally will share it as soon as they see it. And then, you know, they'll watch it later. Right. That's the name of the game. Like so wholeheartedly believe that because a lot in in a world where these one-off people become like famous overnight with this viral video and everybody's going for that one, you know? So they create three videos and then they upload them and none of them go viral. And they're like, well, that doesn't work now. You know, like, but it's impossible. It's like, no, no, no. Their intention is wrong. There you go. Their intention is wrong. And it's funny when people ask me about that. And and one of the things I talk about is consistency. They ask me like, so here's the major hack. And I tell them like, you just gotta be consistent. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. And they, it's like they get deflated. They're like, oh, like it's not, it's no secret. I don't want to be consistent. You know, I'm just like, that's how you do it. Yeah. You, you literally have to just, I mean, as simple as that sounds, just be consistent over time. And when you're consistent, growth has to take place. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, bringing back what you said earlier too, the, the input thing, you have the consistency, but then what happens when you're consistent is you bump up your quality. There right? you go. So like, that's what my whole mantra is like, consistent quality content with context. You put consistent quality content in front of the right audience, like something will happen. That's right. I don't know how long it'll take and I don't know how big it'll get, but I promise you something will happen. But if you're missing any of those three things, if it's in front of the wrong people and you're not consistent or the the quality is poor, like you can be consistent as hell. Yeah, like, poor, yeah. If it's not good, like it's not good. That's true. But the bottom line is when you are consistent, your quality is going to start getting better and better. Repetition. Yeah, sure. And then all those inputs that you're doing, like you were saying, like now I started reading books. Like I started listening to audiobooks. I started attending, you know, events and listening to speakers and downloading podcasts and all those different things. And then when you start consuming all of that, you can't help but like put it back out there. That's right. Yeah. So I'm curious now, like 
coming into this like next version of your of your career you got a, a an amazing book coming out yeah can you talk to me a little bit about you know two three things from that book that you're really trying to hammer home for people yeah for sure so the book is called the greatest you and the whole like i guess idea of the book is the greatest you isn't some external like it's not something that you find in the world the greatest you is inside you so i'm really taking people on a journey of turning their pain into their power. And if somebody says, well, Trent, I have no pain, what you do. But if somebody says, I have no pain, there's also another level of yourself that I'm taking you to to meet also. And so I break it down. It's my rehab process. It's not said in the book, but like this is the journey I walk people down, I teach from. So the first R is reality. And the first chapter is you'll never win your war by running from your battles. So I make people face the reality because if you don't deal with the things that you need to deal with, you can reach all the success in the world that you want. But guess what? When you unpack your baggage, that stuff is still there. I always say it doesn't matter if you have a brand new destination. You have the same baggage. You get to that destination. That same stuff is still there. So really helping people really face their truth and uh, deal with those things. The second part is release. And release is one of the chapters is burning bridges, right? It's getting the people or even the habits, the mindset out of your life that doesn't serve you or grow you. Mm. And the last part is repair. And repair is digging up the bad seeds and replacing great seeds in your life, right? Reading books, getting around the right people, growth environment, and what I call championship mindset, developing these things to, to help you for the long term. This episode of the show is brought to you by another podcast, actually, and that is The Jordan Harbinger Show. There were three shows that I listened to uh, back when I first started listening to podcasts, and Jordan's show is one of them. And I'm now I'm honored to call Jordan a good friend of mine, and I'm happy to have them as a sponsor of my show now. I promise that you will enjoy this podcast if you like listening to Build Your Network. In addition to being hosted by one of the best interviewers that I've ever met, The Jordan Harbinger Show is an Apple Top 50 podcast and was among Apple's best of 2018 as well. It's packed with wisdom in the truest sense of the word, from how to read body language and nonverbal communication to how to network and negotiate, not to mention amazing stories from people who have actually lived them, from crazy kidnapping stories and going undercover as a CIA agent to illusionists who can seemingly program our brains, basically anything that will help you upgrade your brain so you can become a high performer both at home and at work. This is a show that offers meaningful, fun, life-changing insights with a practical edge so listeners can apply something right out of the box every show, every day. In fact, every episode has worksheets so you can make sure you're internalizing and applying what you learn from the guests. You deserve to be extraordinary. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or go to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe and start taking your life to the next level. I really enjoy the show and I'm not just saying that. I think that you will as well. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. Can you talk a little bit more about environment? This is one thing, um, the show is called Build Your Network, and we talk a lot about networking, getting in front of the right people, changing the circle of people that you spend the most time with. And because I'm a firm believer, if you can change your environment, then you're going to change. And it's probably the easiest, like, quote unquote, easiest way to change because it's just a natural product of doing that, right? It's like building a manufacturing plant 
that manufactures a different version of you. So the hard work is actually building the plan. Right. The hard work is actually changing your environment. But if you can do that successfully, then now you just got to follow the process. And like now you, it's much easier to become that different version of yourself. So right. can you talk a little bit about like how to go about controlling or changing your environment? To yeah. Help? I think you got to okay. first ask yourself a question like, is the environment you're in going to help you grow to the person that you say you want to be? You have to be real with yourself. And if the answer is no, then you have to do the hard work of removing the things in that environment or removing yourself, whatever, you know, whatever it is for you. So for me, it was, and I actually tweeted this today. I said, you might be a good person, but you're just not good for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard thing is that you have good people in your life, but they're not leading you to a better place that Mm -hmm. you want to be. So that's like the hard part, Mm -hmm. but you have to make that decision for your future. And for me, it's always operating for my kids and the higher purpose of my life. So I tell my friends in those conversations, like, bro, I got love for you. I'm always here for you, but I'm going to grow. I'm moving somewhere. Like if you ain't going, then you only left behind. Ain't no hard feelings, but I'm letting you know right now. So it's on the plate. So another thing is, I would say is, you know, one of the things you can do is like check your text message list. Just check it, check your thread and just see, of course you have, every conversation doesn't have to be about growth or whatever, but like if the majority of conversations aren't anything that's conducive to growth or helping Mm. your life or like real conversations, like, what's the point of it? And the more that my text message threads change, the more my life changed. It was a reflection. Yeah. Like, when my life was stagnant, wasn't nothing going on in those threads. Like, who won the game last night? That was it. Or this and this. Or right. sending me memes. But when I changed <laughs> my environment and got around a growth environment, like, it's a reflection. And I can, you can go on my text message. You can see, like, everything is about growth or, you know, checking up on one another. Yeah. And the main thing is, too, you have to make sure you're a reflection of the environment you want to be in, too. You know, that's the yeah. hard part because a yeah. lot of us, we want these things, but we're not a reflection of it. Yeah, right. Well, I think a lot of times if that is the case, you're not going to be able to last in that yeah. environment Big you know, because people are going to see straight through those you know shields that you put up. Yeah. Like, I tell people that all the time, with especially with this this type of a world, consecration, all that kind of stuff and getting around these types of people. If you're not truly living those things, even if you put yourself in the opportunity. So even if you somehow like get the opportunity to like interview the next person or talk with somebody or, you know, spend some time with somebody that's like really a big mentor to you, you know, and you you finally get that opportunity. If you aren't a living testimony of being a somebody who would be able to survive in that circle, then they're just going to see straight through that anyway. And you're not going to be able to sustain (laughs) the ability to be there anymore. Even if you get yourself into the environment in the first place, which is a difficult part of the process. Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah, it's crazy. I had one question for you on the, oh, okay, so talking about environment, talking yeah. about um, getting, getting, you know, cutting off people that are no longer serving you, even though they might be good people, because right. I totally agree with that. I have a lot of people from my past that are very good people, and I have nothing against them, and, right. I, and I love them. I know that they love me, right. but yeah, they don't serve what I'm trying to do anymore. Therefore, I cannot give them as much time as I used to. Right. How do you balance between cut off, right? Like yeah, get out levels. of my life and still not hang out with them as much. That's the, that's the biggest thing that's, that's difficult, I think, for a lot of people is they're like, well, I'm not just going to be this different person and neglect all of my friendships. Like you're yeah. just being a, you know, you're just being a jerk. It's like, yeah. no, I'm not being a jerk. It's just, they don't serve my goals. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to talk to them. I'm going to ignore them whenever they want to hang out or whatever, right. but it's just gotta be a different type of environment. So how do you, how do you, yeah, I just, this? I just set up those boundaries. Like people know, like, even if I don't, like I've always been an introverted person by nature. So like I have, I guess I have no problem. Like, like being, doing that yeah. I, I, always growing up. 
But I let people know, like, and they know it. Like, I'm always here for you. Like, there's somebody that could call me, I haven't talked to in a year, that needs something. Like, that's just my heart to be there. But they understand, like, and I'm clear in communication. Like, clear communication is very powerful. Like, I'm telling you this, whether you like it or not, I'm sorry, but this is what it is. This is my life. I only get one. I mean, the number one regret I read on Google is, like, like people, like, when they're about to die is that they realize that they live their life for other people in a negative way Mm -hmm. and didn't live their life for themselves. And so I refused to like get to the end of my life, realizing that I held my life back for you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you were a person that wasn't trying to do anything with their life. Right. So yeah. I'm willing to go through that hard conversation. People will talk about you. People will say you changed. Like I have that all the time. Well, Trent's changed. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I've changed. Mm. Like as Jay-Z said, we ain't doing all this work to stay the same, right. you know? Yeah, like why and haven't you changed? Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole point. It's like, that was the goal growing up to elevate our lives. Like, mm-hmm. do we have to go revisit that conversation? Right. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing that, sorry to interrupt Yeah. You. That's the crazy thing is like when you're a kid, you're forced to change, yeah. right? You're supposed to reinvent your life. You go to school every day to learn new things, to like try new activities, you, you do the extracurriculars, you're at this, try choir out, try sports out, try drama out, try all these different things, like grow, learn, be better. And then you graduate and it's like, all right, stay the same. same yep. You're like, right. Uh, why? You're right. <laughs> a thing? You're right. Yeah. Even like you said, I mean, it, ma- it makes a lot of sense too. Probably that has a lot to do with depression and you know just being in a stagnant place because like you said our whole entire life we're evolving and then you say you get to a point where it's like oh it's like a sin to involve evolve your life it's a sin to change it's a sin to elevate and you know a lot of times it is and i talk about this on previous podcasts but mm-hmm. it's a lot of people struggle like with well it's the people's closest to me and you have to understand this that sometimes it's the people closest to you that will never see how great you are because mm-hmm. they're close that's what it is. It's proximity. They're familiar with you. They have normalized your so gift. Yeah. You know, they've normalized right. you. And so that's why we can support celebrities because we don't know celebrities. It's right. like, <laughs> we don't know them. We don't spend time with them. But if you were around that celebrity every single day, you would normalize them. Mm-hmm. So it takes a special person to be able to see your greatness when they're right next to you. And I was like, if you get maybe two or three people on your side that are familiar with you, that know you, but still see your greatness. Yeah. Luckily, I have parents that were like that for me. There's no telling to where your life could go, but don't hold your life back because of that validation. Because at the end of the day, if we look at our audiences, if we look at companies, customers, they're made up of more strangers than they are people that are close to you. Mm. So it doesn't mean that you can't be successful because those people don't support you. Right. Yeah, one thing I tell people a lot of times, and just a little bit of context, just before we hit the record button, I told you you grew up in in a very religious type of context. And um, so I have a lot of people that I know that very much disagree with like how I live my life. And it was very difficult for me to transition away from that. Just all my friends, like, you know, authority figures. And and, and I'm not saying all of them that way, but right. a, a lot of them. And uh, transitioning out of that, the one thing that I just could not wrap my mind around, the one thing that made me really just be okay with being who I was and just saying, like, hey, you guys are going to have to get used to it type thing, was that it just kind of dawned on me when I was really thinking about it and wrestling with it, that I am the only person that has to wake up every single morning and be me. It's you know, like, I'm the only one. So why am I going to choose my daily life and when my head hits the pillow, know that I'm living a life that I don't want to live just for the approval of a bunch of other people who don't have to be me? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's where I feel it, like that seed of just like unhappiness and like fulfillment and struggle and all those things, like it starts because you're living a life that's not even your life. It's hijacked by all these people yeah. that, like you said, to your point, aren't even really doing much with their lives. Exactly. That's where it comes from. Yeah. That's where it comes. You're never going to meet someone, I'm not going to say never, unless they're threatened 
you know, and they feel you as competition, but right, right. you're never going to meet someone who's happier or whatever that's going to tell you, that's going to belittle your growth or anything. So when you put it in context and understand like where that's coming from, it makes it easier to deal with. So for me, it's like if somebody throws me hate or somebody has a problem with me, I know that they're not probably happy in their life. And so now I have empathy for them. It's like, I don't take it personal at all. Yeah. What do you think is like the ultimate version of becoming the greatest you in terms of like, you know, happiness, fulfillment, uh, productivity, all those types of things? Yeah, I would say, you know, a word that just pops up in my mind would be peace. I believe like being able to sustain a level of peace throughout it all. You know, like throughout success, throughout whatever, because success, like I said, success is, is tough. You know, the more you grow, the more other things grow. And it's just, I mean, it's hard. I've been through my battles with that. Yeah. And so uh, dealing with your family, you know, right now I'm away from my kids, you know, just that whole battle. So for me, it's about finding that inner peace and it's finding out who you are at your core. I think that's the greatest you like. Who are you despite all these things we've been influenced by, all these yeah. things has been added on since we were children. Like, who is that person at the core? And I haven't found that person in me. And I'm still in that version of finding the greatest me. And yeah. I think it's a daily thing. Like, what's the greatest you look like today? What's the greatest you look like tomorrow? And so that's the journey I'm on. Yeah, how, how do you deal um, with people? Sometimes one of the questions that I get is, well, me, the, like, if I want to live my life how I want to do it, I would just do this and this and this, and I, and I wouldn't be really productive. Like, th- I have to force myself to be, like, this type of way. How do you deal with that type of a question when people are just wondering, like, hey, if I just was me and I just did what I want to do, then I would just, you know, roll a joint and watch, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, watch Simpsons reruns all day or whatever. Like, how do you balance, like, hey, I'm me, but yeah. also I need to be a better version? Right, exactly. Well, you got to, I think it comes down to definitions of the person and What do you feel like? I'll just use the word purpose here, for example, what your purpose is. Like, I believe purpose is, I was talking about in the book, I believe as people, we are purpose. I always say I am purpose. And so I feel like me being purpose, I have to evolve and I have to bring betterment to this world in whatever avenue I'm called to serve in, whether it be speaking, writing books. And so it depends on the person. I mean, if a person feels like that they have no purpose in this world, which is not true, they're going to think like that. But if you have a purpose, to me, you're obligated to be able to reach another version of yourself, a better version, a greater version, not just for you, but for future generations. Like, what's the legacy? I think about this a lot. Like, what's the legacy I'm going to leave? Like, when I leave here, when I'm tapped out for good, like, what are people going to say? Not necessarily say, but what are people going to say how I impacted their life or impacted this world? What are my children going to say? That's a that's a journey that I'm on. That's what I kind of live for. Yeah, right. Bro, I could talk to you about this stuff for a very long time. So if I don't make a clear, <laughs> clear transition, then then nothing's for sure. We're just going to keep chatting for a long time. So I want to chat about networking because this is the Build Network podcast, and again, it's usually sprinkled throughout the conversation. We've touched on it on a multiple on multiple occasions so far. But this is the question that I ask every guest that's ever come on the show, all two hundred plus like people that have come on. I ask this question, and I'm curious to hear your answer. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important, and why would you say that? Either or. Either or. Yeah, pick one. <sighs> Understanding both are important, right? You, right. Can't, you can't take away from either one, but you got to pick one. I make people pick one. I got to say who you know. Yeah. Because you can know. It's, I'm sure it's a lot of great, smart people that know a lot. Yeah. But they're not like, it's just networking, man, and connections. I was thinking about that today. It's like, man, like me meeting someone brought me here. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so yeah. I feel like who you know plays a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Even you being on this show right now. Yeah. A mutual connection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can do all the things in the world, but if I don't know someone that has a connection, I'm not here. Right. You know? Yeah, so. Totally. Did you, did you find that in the NFL thing, um, when you were going through all that, because learning some of the back end politics and all the other yeah. stuff that goes on that you didn't know coming into it, 
would you say that a solid amount of that is through like people you know and connections like people getting deals that you're like man that guy should not have gotten a deal like i should have gotten a deal over that guy yeah so i think it's kind of i think one i think some people definitely earn their deals and things like that like they earn it but I think, too, it's the scale, right? It's like, okay, maybe it's not who you know, but in a way it is. Because say you're a high draft pick, right? You're a first-round draft pick, and I'm a free agent guy. Even if I outplay you, clearly I'm not going to start over you or I'm not going to get the opportunity because they've invested millions of dollars. They have a relationship with you, and they're going to get all their money out of it. So hmm. I think a lot of it, it is who you know, obviously, with you know relationships you build. And maybe your agent has a good relationship with certain, it happened for me at times where my my agent knew somebody that gave me an opportunity to try out. You know, right. so there's a lot of athletes out there that deserve to be in the NFL, but they just don't have the, the agent or the connection to be able to even get that trial. Right, right. Or just even the guidance from your uncle to put you oh, in yeah. touch with like Tony Tony Dungy and his yep. team. Yeah, like for it's, sure. It's just funny. Even I asked the question a really open ended way because I used to just like think everybody was going to agree with me and say who you know, right? Yeah. But a lot of people come on the show and say what you know, but it's funny when they give their why. I always want to go back into their story because we just went through your whole story. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. And that one time when you said that you were like down and out and you had that mentor that came in yeah. and told you this thing, like, but you just said what, you know, like, it seems like yeah. it's actually the who, but I find that the who always increases the what, Yeah, right? Like you get around the right people, you can learn so much, like your immersion in your ability to like learn and implement gets so much higher when when you're just surrounded with the people who can really help you get to that next For sure. Level. Can you tell me a story, like a time in your life where maybe a connection, besides a couple of the things that we've talked about today, maybe more like professional life now, speaking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where like a connection led to a big moment of success. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of my life now is, so I was, you know, the word mastermind is used a lot, you know, in this space. And I was a person that wasn't against it. It was just like, I don't want to go. I'm Like I said, I'm an introverted person. I was like, I don't want to go hang with a bunch of people. Like, I feel like it's like a fraternity thing. Like, I don't want to go hang with a bunch of guys (laughs) and pay money and whatever. So I was like against it. And so uh, I don't know if you know Dean Graziosi, Mm -hmm. uh, but Dean. uh, Yeah, yeah, you had him. Okay, cool. So Dean is a. a good mentor of mine, me and Dean connected a while ago and Dean kept putting it in my head. He's like, man, just come to this. Like, you know, we're, it's like, it's, he's like, this is the unmastermind. Like we're going to get, we're just going to have fun. We're going to fish. We're going to just share ideas, just, you know, pay for your way out here and promise you it's going to like change your life. Yeah. I'm just like, all right, I'll do it. And literally that was last year or my first one. And last year was my biggest year ever. Wow. Just from the standpoint of ideas, just from the standpoint of connections, like speaking stages and everything. And then we just did a mastermind in Puerto Rico again with about 12 of us out there, uh, Rachel Hollis and Brendan Bruchard, all of us like, and yeah. just a connection to learn from each other and also to learn, like we all go through certain things, but yeah, I mean, when you build that bond with people, obviously they're going to be more inclined, especially when they know who you are as a person to be like, yeah, man, my boy Trent or my homie, this or that, right. yeah, you, you need to bring them in. So it's opened up major speaking opportunities for me. And then just major growth moments, just, from a mindset and understand the business more and me not making the same mistakes or making a mistake I would have made if I wouldn't have made that connection. Yeah. It's always so difficult for me to convince people of it. You just have to show them like similar to what you're saying. Like, Hey, I never really believed in it. I just thought, you know, like I'm not going to pay for this stuff (laughs) when like I have all this other thing, but then like someone, it took someone like Dean who you respect, right. Who is crushing it in business, in life, like marketing guru, genius, real estate, like all these things, author. And then he was like, bro, promise like i promise you like trust me on this you're going to want to be here right yeah so then you did it and then you experienced it and now it's like wow i can't believe the, like what would you say to somebody out there that's like what was in the position that you were in 
thinking like, ah, I don't really need to invest money in, into relationships or, you know, being around the right people or access or anything. I, I'm, I'm okay. What would you say to somebody like that? Well, it's funny. I'm going to talk about this today. I would say you were investing money into stuff already. You're just not conscious of it. I call it IOPs, impressing other people. Mm. How much money you spend yeah. impressing other people? And it's like, why don't you invest that money into either building other people or building your own business. And I'm yeah. telling you, when you become intentional about your investments and your time, whether it's time or money, when you become intentional about your connections, your life like has no choice but to grow. I mean, even when, kind of backtrack, even when I met Dean, it's funny because I went to an event that I didn't want to go to and I met a guy there just talking out of my element, talking mm-hmm. to a guy. We connected. The guy ended up knowing Dean. So when we got to this next event, he introduced me to Dean. And so me and Dean got introduced like that. So gotcha. if I would have never walked in there and then Dean helped me get my book deal, he introduced mm-hmm. me to my book agent yeah. and I got a, you know, a huge book deal just from me walking into a situation of networking that I didn't want to go yeah. into. An uncomfortable situation. Exactly. You didn't feel like doing, but you did it anyway. Yep. Yeah. Again, man, so much stuff that we could talk about, but I know we got to get going. You're about to go speak on stage here. So we'll get we're moving into the last uh, segment here. Something I like to call the random round, just a few Really quick, random questions with some quick, random answers. You ready? Cool. Yep. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Cooking. <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Tupac. Because Tupac's just somebody that I love what he stood for, and I think he had a level of understanding that surpassed a lot of people. How do you prefer to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audiobooks, for sure. Okay. What would be one or two audiobooks that you'd recommend? Right now, I'm going to say Play Bigger. The guy who's the type, the author's are. Play Bigger, I, you said? Play Bigger. Okay. And then uh, by David Goggins. Uh, his book. Oh, yeah. Can't, yeah. Uh, can't Hurt Me. Can't Hurt Me, yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. Awesome. And The Greatest You. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So my morning routine, I call it protecting your peace. Four A's. First A is appreciation. I wake up in gratitude, and I try to do this every day. When I don't do it, I feel it. Second A is accomplishment. I set out one win a day, something small, whether it's making my bed, washing, whatever. I always say how you start your day, influence your day. The third thing is affection, giving my family, my daughter, my son. It's kind of hard for my son because he's at the cool age now, but a hug. <laughs> um, you know, a hug a day, I feel like keeps depression away. And then the fourth thing is activity. You know, I make sure I get my, my workout in on my running or my hike. What is your go-to pump-up song? My go-to pump-up song? Dang, that's a tough one, man. I would have to say... Dang, I'm going to be super, like, biased. (laughs) My song, Make the World Respect Your Greatness. Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. What is something that you are not very good at? I'm not a handyman at all. So you shouldn't get under the hood of the car? None of that. Like, if we're we're stranded, we're in trouble. (laughs) As you get everything wrapped up in the man, what is one place online where we are going to find you the most? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Okay, cool. Doing a lot more on Facebook these days. Well, yeah. Facebook is just where it built me. You know, it's just where my bread and butter is. So cool. it's a group audience. Awesome, man. Well, if you are watching this, listening to this, whatever right now, make sure to go check out Trent's stuff on Facebook, on Instagram. Most importantly, though, please, please, please go get a copy of Trent's new book, the greatest you. I promise you, you will not be disappointed when you go through that. Trent, thank you so much for coming to the show today, man. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate you, man. I love it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapel.com slash hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.